Welcome to the last lap podcast. Welcome to the last lap podcast. Welcome everybody to the Last Lap Podcast, the only podcast that's signed for McLaren for 2016. Hooray! <laughs> <laughs> well, what, half of the podcast is happy about that, I suspect. One half is <laughs> probably a bit miffed. You're, you're, you're clearly joking, but what we're not joking about is we have in fact signed for Sauber. <laughs> <laughs> Both of us, but for the same seat. Oh. <laughs> well, indeed, uh, this is the Last Lap Podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Pearson, and alongside me, as always, is Sean Gray. And we are here to uh, attempt to talk about what was the Japanese Grand Prix of 2015. Um, <laughs> hmm. I like the emphasis on the word attempt there. Yes. Uh, this may be one of the shorter episodes we do because, uh, well, I'm going to be completely honest. After the first two laps, I fast forwarded through until about lap 50. So uh... I got up and watched it live. Oh, what a tremendous waste of time that must have been for you. <laughs> I was working at about nine o'clock in the morning, so I thought, that's brilliant. I can get up, watch it while I'm eating my breakfast, and then head out to work. All, everything's slotted into place nicely, and I got to work at nine o'clock going, probably should have had another two hours of bed. <laughs> exactly. <but. laughs> I was just going to say, did you not get an extra two hours of sleep then? Uh, it, it is what it is. Uh, <laughs> you know. What can you Bus- do? Business resumed, shall we say, after Singapore. Yes. Uh, and it all seems say- so. It all seems so promising after quali- qualifying. Um, <clears throat> even though the Mercs were back on top, we we had a different pole leader, and it was, um, it was all looking like maybe we might get a bit of a race, and then, and then, what happened? Well- and the BBC nails it. Hamilton wins after overtaking Rosberg on lap one. That's pretty much their headline. And that's that is the much, Grand Prix, isn't it? Really? <laughs> that's pretty much it, yeah. yeah. Uh, it is what it is, like you say. We, we, we said last week on, on the Singapore episode, you know, this was going to be the acid test. Is, 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 is Mercedes gone or is uh, was it just a one-off fluke result in Singapore caused by a varying amount of factors? And yes, yes, it was a fluke result. Mercedes were back on top. And that was all she wrote, really. Uh, Mercedes won two on the grid. Mercedes won two race result. Uh, like you say, Rosberg on pole. No, uh, but, you know, Lewis, what can you say? He passed him on lap one and ended up winning the race by 20 seconds. So he, he, he did what he had to do. Lewis was, uh, never looked like losing the race, really, did he, after that first corner? I thought it was uh, very brave of him after the uh, uh, incident at Spa to, to come across Nico Rosberg quite so uh, aggressively into turn one. Um, given the last time he tried to do that, he ended up with a puncture and ended up right, right at the back of the field. But uh, It was well, right, right on the edge of sort of, you know, of a close close move. What did you mean? You know, it was all fair? In well, that? I think at the end of the day, uh, when... I can't remember, I think it was Austria, maybe, maybe Hungary. Whatever, Nico came across to take the racing line. Lewis had thought of a half-hearted duck up the outside, um, but clearly was never going to make it, and then had to run into the gravel, do you remember? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And he was yeah, going... Yeah, yeah. Absolutely, that was Hungary. Hungary, yeah. Um, 
and Nick, uh, he was on the radio going, Nico didn't leave me any space, or Nico ran me off the road, or whatever it was. Um, and to me, if that incident is fair, which it was yep. deemed fair by the stewards, wasn't it? Nobody was investigated, there were no penalties handed out, etc., mm-hmm. etc., then this move was fine. And I'm I, quite happy with that. But, I agree. But pe- th- but then what it should be is that Lewis shouldn't complain when it happens to him. Yep. <laughs> he should just go, oh, okay. Th- then th- that's, th- that's the <laughs> rules. You know, just put up nope. with it. And it, when it goes in your favour, that's fine. When it doesn't go in your favour, don't try and drop your teammate in it. Because we didn't hear anything from Nico saying the, sure. the same thing. So he either didn't say it or um, it wasn't recorded. It wasn't broadcast. But I'm pretty sure they'd have wanted to put that out there, wouldn't they, if they... If they had it on uh, radio, especially given what other juicy tidbits they had on the radio this race. Oh, it was a good race for the radio. Maybe cover that later. Uh, the way the way I look at it for me is if Nico had done that, uh, I, I would say absolutely fair move. So it would be hypocritical for me to then slight Lewis uh, for for doing it. So I'm not going to. Uh, it was like you say, comparing to Hungary, one's probably a good example. Nico Nico did it, and at the time I was saying absolutely fair move. It was a fair move. The boot is now on the other foot, and so fair move. Yeah, well done, Lewis. He got he got a, he got a better start. He got the move done. Nico, he lost the position. What was really unfortunate, I suppose, was that he then dropped behind Seb and Valtteri. The that the unfortunate thing there was then it just robbed us of any chance of Nico having a go at Lewis because because he dropped behind the other two. He spent the best part of the first half of the race having to get ahead of the two that he dropped behind. And by that point, Lewis is up the road 20 seconds and we've got just no no chance whatsoever of any kind of fight for the race. So that, that was the biggest problem. Had Nico gotten passed by Lewis on the first lap and, and stayed ahead of the first two, rather, sorry, the, the second and third, he might have... He might, he probably, to be honest, he, Lewis was good this weekend. He probably wouldn't have been able to cope with him. But he might, he might have given him something. But falling behind the the Fry and the Williams meant it was it was it was literally all over by the first lap, so never mind. At least it is what it is. <laughs> Unfortunately, yes, it, and that was all it was as far as the GP really went. Um, like you say, Nico then spends the best part of the whole race getting ahead, uh, getting ahead of a, a two cars that on this circuit weren't able to get anywhere near the pace of the Mercedes, but because of the nature of Formula One, the Mercedes is clearly the quicker car around Suzuka this weekend, but he couldn't get it was just so difficult for him to pass it. It took longer than than it normally that just took him took him a little length of time. And and by that point Lewis is, you know, been able to pump in two two or three fastest laps and he's gone. The race is over. So I mean it was quite a good move, um on Valtteri into the hairpin. Yeah. But that um, was after the first round of pit stops, so that told you how long it took yeah. for him to get past. He had to wait until after the pit stops and some fresh rubber or whatever, you know. Of course, his engineer was on the phone, uh, the phone, he was on the radio saying um, engine heating and brakes heating and all this kind of thing. So uh, it wasn't made easy for him from that point of view, but that's always the trouble whenever a Mercedes drops behind a Williams. Or, oh, the Williams has got the same engine, so it's tough to get by. You really need to be shrewd about how how it does. It's clearly the quicker car, but getting overtaken is a different matter in this, when it's the same engine. No. Say, it was, was a good move, though. It was a good move. It just took yeah. too long. It took too long for us to get any get any joy from it. Really, like <laughs> at that point, it's already over. Yeah, absolutely. Well, maybe 
you know, maybe the the idea of these uh, wider wheels, nineteen inch, or whatever they are. They're not nineteen inch, are they? They're something. They're pretty it's big. Eighteen inch, maybe eighteen. I'm not sure. I might be sixteen. It's one of those things that you just go. Just throwing oh, out numbers there now. We're just well, throwing out numbers. <laughs> seventeen. Any events on seventeen? No. Um, maybe something. Maybe some of these are all things that are supposed to increase, well, a, give us a bit of mechanical grip. Will will help these things somewhat, so that there's less. You know, the cars aren't quite so unsettled by running behind them but i don't know but if feels to me that what will happen is that they'll bolt them on them they'll suddenly find that because there's more tire they heat up even quicker and go off even faster and it'll be worse just to i think it is, think it is 18 i've just had a quick google i think is it, it is. all right i didn't realize not it was that, that big not that i'm being you know not, not that matters but but yeah at this point i'm like you know whatever yeah like it'll be a laugh let's just go for it you know because why the <laughs> it hell can't not be any worse literally. at this stage let's just yeah Straps, you know, put aeroplane jets in the back of it, whether or not, like, you know, do whatever. It'll be a laugh. <laughs> let, let, um, do what they do in um, uh, Rallycross, where they get, uh, like, two joker laps, where, <laughs> where where the lap's shorter for those two laps, so they can, they can go on the short one. That'd be all right, wouldn't it? If you timed it right, that could be quite let's fun. Just get, let's just get rid of all the aero and just run about in the 1950s style F1 car. <laughs> well, I'd be no, all right. I'd be quite happy no with that. No wings or anything. Just <laughs> uh, like, yeah, 18-inch wheels. I don't know much about it from a technical point of view. That's not really my area of speciality, but uh, why not? It'll be a laugh. <laughs> It'll be something different. Uh, so uh, third was Sebastian Vettel. Um, yeah, he did well to get ahead of Nico off the start and tried in vain to to beat him into second. But really, in reality, the Mercedes was the quicker package here. Yeah, uh, took Nico the best part of I don't know two thirds of the race or something to finally get by him using the undercut. But yeah. I think it it was the writing was on the wall quite 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 sharp. I think and uh, and Nico. He just did him in the pits, didn't he? He put the, I think he pitted first for some some medium tires towards the final stint. Banged mm. in a couple of laps. Seb just couldn't couldn't get by him on the undercut. No, nope. that's it. Mercedes one two, fairly comfortably, final stint. Vettel was only a couple of seconds behind Nico, so he wasn't. You know, he wasn't. He wasn't disgraced by any means, but. Uh, <laughs> I think Vettel would be the first to admit that the Ferrari was not the, 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 the Ferrari was the third best. It's, it, it was where he should have been, really. Yeah, I think so. Um, Kimi Raikkonen then came in fourth, um, some way behind his teammate, um, but uh, still ahead of. Bottas, I can't remember what happened to Bottas. Why he slipped so far down? I, I don't know whether it was just that the car wasn't that fast or or what. Um, but uh, a good, a, a decent result for Ferrari, I guess. But um, it does nothing to stop the next sli- slide towards Mercedes picking up the constructors' championship, uh, Sochi, almost certainly. Um, this is the the thing, you know. It's they couldn't they couldn't have gone any more than what they did. So you have to say it's a job well done. You know, bar mechanical or crashes, Mercedes were going to finish one two, Ferrari. They could only beat what's in front. They can only beat the Williamses, and they did so. So, I think, like I'm a bit with you. I can't remember a Bottas why he's why he slipped behind Kimi. I think was Kimi just a bit quicker at, at points in the race and managed to get by him in the pit stops. Uh, I think I remember Kimi's engineer saying that 
Kimi was putting in some good laps and uh, his engineer was encouraging him. So Kimi must have drove quite a quite a solid race because he started sixth and finished fourth. So he's gained two places. Uh, a pretty bad day in the office for Williams, really. Um, they were fairly competitive at Suzuka last year and um, they just didn't really seem to come to the races th- this time. I, I mean, I know Massa finished where he did because of a puncture, but still... Um, he didn't really rise from that position again. Um, so, what do you think is what do you think the major malfunction at Williams is at the moment? As a team, as in a whole, or as like uh, with a car, really probably. Car, I guess, like, you know, just this season. Felice, wears... Felipe Massa hasn't quite managed to shake his ability to find trouble at times. Uh, you know, that's not. A reflection on the car, but you know, Massa doesn't get into bother on the first lap, he finishes sixth probably. So, <coughs> there's what 10 points down the drain or whatever. And I like Massa, but he undeniably finds more trouble than anybody <laughs> I've ever seen. <laughs> like, it just attracts to him like nothing else, you know. Yeah, if there's somebody, if there's somebody who spots a penny on the ground, bends over to pick it up and rips his trousers, it will, you'd assume it would probably be Felipe. The problem for Williams is the, they're kind of just where you expect them to be, aren't they? They've not got the budget that Mercedes and Ferrari have, but they've got a better engine than Red Bull. So they're better than Red Bull, but behind Mercedes and Ferrari. It's a bit sad, really, isn't it? That I mean, I don't know how they go for, where they go from here because they've done so well to get back to where they are now. The fact I got glass ceiling kind of, and it's like, do, are they ever going to be able to have the budget that they used to? Are they ever going to be able to get back to that without serious investment? And if they do get serious investment, then are they still Williams that we know? So would they be called? I don't know. Something not Williams, but <coughs> choking you. <laughs> is it getting to you? The emotion of Williams' plight. I've, is... had, a, I've had a dire sore throat for a couple of days, so oh. my throat's just a bit dry. Well, if, if anybody listening can tweet at Firebolt Willow, yeah. just, just get well us, soon. Just treat, tweet and get well. That would be that would be yeah. lovely. Thank you guys. Yeah, but they've had a bit of a glass ceiling, so it's a big winter for them. Put it that way. It is. Um, it is. What do you think? <sighs> I, I've kind of given up guessing with Williams um, because they made a major, major jump, you know, when they got the Mercedes engines and now they're tailing off again. It's kind of what they did before. But I don't know whether that... Um, that next development might, you know, might spike at some point, and they'll they'll make a massive step uh, if they can kind of find the time in the car. Because I think they have to find the time in the car. They can't rely on the engine um, pushing them in front of Ferrari these days. Uh, it's just you know not going to happen. So I, <laughs> God, sorry. <laughs> uh, I really, I really don't know. Um, I, I hesitate to even guess what kind of season they're going to have they i'm the same like i really I, because because they've had such up and down races at times this season as well like you say what's what's going on with williams and you're like i don't know <laughs> god knows god knows what's going on with williams is the answer sometimes yes. sometimes they look world beaters and other times they look like they couldn't pass a 
Lindy McLaren. So yeah. that's, that's not true, but <laughs> <laughs> no, but you get my point. Like, don't, don't insult our new employers for next year, for goodness' sake. There's already they've already got one person doing that well enough for them. Thank you very much. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> uh, I mean... So so sixth place, uh, place, sixth place uh, was Nico Hulkenberg, who fairly impressively managed to get himself up from thirteenth to sixth. Yeah, um, very good race. Yeah. And it's a standard sort of Nico Hulkenberg brings it home <laughs> in sixth or seventh with a very solid yet somewhat forgettable race. So. <laughs> yes, I guess. Uh, uh, I guess sometimes some of these things are, you know, you're doing these overtakes in the in pit stops, uh, and you're pitting at the same time as other cards that people are taking more interest in. Just <laughs> I guess your whole thing just doesn't <laughs> really appear on screen. Just consistently driving a solid race, eh? and when all around you people are making mistakes and stuff, and you're just putting decent lap in after decent lap, you're not setting the world on fire, but you're not doing silliness either. In the end, you're going to climb the climb the table. Yes. I mean, uh, look at the times. The times tells its own story. Well, it does. I mean, they were still... 20 seconds behind Williams, but 15 seconds ahead of the Lotus is behind him. So he's just in a wee world of his own, just putting in decent laps and ticking over. You're listening to The Last Lap Podcast. The home of F1 banter. So, again, another unspectacular... Uh, kind of race for Lotus, but I, I guess a decent haul of points for seventh and eighth. Double points uh, finished for a team with such financial struggles is, you know, that's like gold dust, isn't it? <laughs> well, it certainly is when one of your uh, uh, drivers is Pastor Maldonado. Um, getting two cars to finish at all is probably is that, a minor achievement. That's it, you know, you're absolutely spot on. I mean, how many points has Maldonado got this season? It can't be that many because he's DNF that many times that he can't be. Can't have, that, can't have had that many points finishes. Do have a quick look at the standings? He's only on he's on sixteen points, whereas Roman Grosjean's on forty four. So Roman Grosjean's <laughs> outscoring them by like three to one. Yeah, that's its own story, isn't it? The... Fernando Alonso, to put that in context, is on eleven. <laughs> yes, Fernando's on sixteen. So. <laughs> yeah, and Felipe Manazza in the Sauber is ahead of him, and that I think again also tells its own. Its own story, but um... interestingly, just I've not looked at the driver standings properly for ages, but I noticed that um, go back to Hulkenberg, as solid as he has been at times, he's only on thirty-eight, and Grosjean driving the Lotus is on forty-four. So he, well, if you remember, we were talking about it last time. Hulkenberg's been very up and down in the last few races. Um, mm. Do you know what I mean? He he was sort of consistently uh, either qualifying badly or having seemingly poor races and not really uh, really making up places. Whereas Grosjean has been pretty consistent all season. He's only had a couple of sort of really poor races. So um... Sergio Perez only on 39 in the other Force India. So it looks like, you know, those are about neck and neck. So, I mean, Grosjean, you have to say, under the circumstances and the difficulties that that Lotus team are having, having to sit outside their bloody hospitality box, getting fed by Bernie and stuff like that, that's a cracking job. Uh not that I need an excuse to praise my favourite fr- uh, French-Swiss combination driver. <laughs> uh, big fan of the Roman. Can't wait to see what he does next year for, for the Haas boys. Uh, but yeah, spoiler great. alert, spoiler alert. Oh, we're not, is, that, is that a spoiler? Is it? Oh, no. 
I, I think it's that already. I, I, I don't think we need to worry too much about spoiler alerts on the podcast, but uh, yeah, no. we'll, we will certainly talk about that with uh, interest. I think when we get to the end of it. Um, uh, what was it? Eighth, seventh, and eighth for uh, Little Lotuses. It was indeed. Yeah, I, I think they probably should be fairly happy with that. It's not like Suzuka is a power track, so the Mercedes engines help, but it's got some really interesting corners in it, and the and the uh, Lotus isn't a doesn't really seem to be a particularly cornery car, if you see what I mean. It's a mm-hmm. terrible way of describing a, no. a car with poor aero performance, really. But there you go. Cornery does what it what it needs to as a word. Um, Maldonado, to his credit, only a couple of seconds behind uh, Grosjean, so that's probably his best race in a long time as well. Indeed. Um, they finished ahead of the two Toro Rossos who finished uh, in ninth and 10th to round up the point-scoring positions. Um Double points finished for the Toro Rossos. They'll take that most days of the week. Well, absolutely, know? yeah. I think uh, I think you'd have to considering some of the cars they finished in front of. Um, uh, Verstappen with a good performance this week. He did a nice move on Carlos Sainz, although there was some uh, tire difference. I think at the time, wasn't it? He was on the on the medium, and Sainz was on the hard, and and I think had even been on the hard for longer than, or obviously been on there longer than. Uh, uh, the max, but still, you know, you've got to beat your teammate, and he has done. Tennis um, on the lead lap as well, which his, his teammate didn't. So yeah, yeah. Um, back in the box. Yeah, I think I, I think so. It's a, I think they're very, you know they're, they're coming across as quite a good pairing. They've only had that one sort of moment after uh, the, the was it the last race where uh, Max was ordered to pull over and then he didn't and then the team all said oh well uh, he was right to do it and all those bits and pieces that's really the only kind of thing and you, you might expect two younger guys really hungry for f1 might be a bit argy bargy um i like both of them i hope both of them do well yeah i mean i think they've i, I can't see why if toro rosso exists next season um why they wouldn't keep both of them on um yeah absolutely yeah um, we have said that before, as though, though, haven't we? Why would you get rid of this guy when? Oh, you have. Never they usually give them two seasons, though. So in the this both in the true. first season, so they should, in theory, both get. All things being equal, they should get another year each, which is absolutely clearly what they deserve. Um, but you know, you've gone through so many drivers at Toro Rosso the last few seasons, and sometimes there's been a real gem that you think that that's the one that's going to make it, and they've usually partnered a bit of a dud. But both of these guys are. I like both of them. I think they both have real potential. You go back through the years. You've got like Vettel came through and Ricardo came through, and they're the gems. But they're also with a, a Buemi who was, not a bad race driver, but just never gonna be anything special. And the same with like John Eric Van. I like John Eric Van, but he never really, he never struck you as someone that was going to jump in a car and just you know, no. just go yes. But I like both these guys. So it'll be really interesting, especially, like I say, all things being equal, they should. Both be in the same car next season. It could be it's going to be a fun eighteen months seeing how these two progress because obviously everybody's talking about Verstappen, but Sainz is doing an excellent job as well. Yeah, absolutely. And um, uh, one thing to note about Verstappen is that he qualified seventeenth, so you know he he made his way through the field to get to that thing. So that's again another another feather in his cap. I would praise Sainz there because I like a lot what he does in the car. He yes. has been quite comprehensively he... outscored in the World Championship by Max. Yeah, I think uh, the thing is that... So that needs Sainz to start is... translating it into points, I think. But yeah, no. I think Sainz has been more consistent, but um, he's not had those... Um, and everybody needs him, don't they? You, you know, your, your Bottas's and your Hulkenbergs. 
they all had one or two spectacular races in slower cars that made people go stand up and go, oh, mm-hmm. wow, he can do that in a Williams or he can do that in... Um, well, both actually, both of them in a Williams. Wasn't thinking about it. That's the help uh, put up Paul in Brazil. Remember? Yep. Um, so, I, I think Signs needs to do that this season, maybe at least once. Is just do something and finish in a seventh or a sixth, even if it's a little bit lucky to some extent. Yeah. Um, just to help, just take a little bit of the shine away from his, um, you know, uh, his teammate. Um, but yeah, I, I can't see them. I can't see them changing it around next no, season. No, I would be very surprised if they did. So, talk to me about eleventh place, Sean, because I don't want to. Eleventh <laughs> place, plus arguably, depending on who you speak to, the best Formula One driver of the last fifteen years, driving possibly the worst car of the last fifteen years. <laughs> No, hang on a minute. There's been an HRT in the last. Yeah, of course. Certainly the worst McLaren. <laughs> definitely the definitely the, the worst years. McLaren that there's been. For last, last worst McLaren of the last what thirty years maybe. Yeah. <laughs> it's possibly nah. one of the worst McLarens of all time, to be fair. But well, it. I, I would like to say I know, it's not ca- necessarily the worst McLaren. The it's car, certainly the worst. The car's fine. It is. Yeah. It's the engine. You know it. We know it. Everybody knows it. Do you know who knows it the most? <laughs> Fernando Alonso. He certainly does. Knows it. And now, <laughs> so does the rest of the world. After those Radiohead, what was it he said on the straight? Uh, feels like a GP2 car. No, we said we said GP2 engine, GP2 engine. GP2 We're engine. getting overtaken by everyone. GP2 uh, engine. Well, my final answer impression isn't quite on point, but um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I mean, I, feel I think as... the most damning radio call was his. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> That's just like wow. <laughs> like, I'm so frustrated. I cannot even put it into a sarcastic comment. It's fairly unusual for Alonso, who's usually fairly erudite about uh, <laughs> getting his his moans across. Because I mean, I mean, in a lot of ways, 11th place is probably a fairly good result for them at Suzuka. It wasn't really going to be a track that suited the car. Um, it was sort of in there at times. You know, he was he was able to compete. He was able to battle, which is a testament to how good. The arrow probably is on that car. Mm-hmm. But he was great out of the corners, wasn't he? But as soon as you got on the straights, the cars were just kept making up all the time that he was, you know. Well, that's it. If you think of the winding section in uh, Sector 1 uh, at Suzuka, the McLaren was probably very, very good through there. But then they've got the, the back the back straights that are just going to murder them. Shown in the result. <coughs> Careful. <laughs> don't sneeze otherwise I think you've definitely thrown yourself out of the, the window now um, uh, Sergio Perez 12th 6 places behind his teammate and is never a good result really um, did he have some drama in the race I can't remember or did he ever come in together on the first lap I know there were some people who had some contact in the first lap I can't remember if he might have been one of them oh he did no he definitely I think he had two sets of contacts actually didn't he think it's difficult to remember now um but i'm pretty sure um he uh he came into contact on the first lap and i think he might have had something else or a puncture possibly um but it was definitely uh uh an eventful eventful race for sergio not just all of his own doing yeah he definitely went wide off the um 
on the first corner and, and had to have a problem. So yeah. uh, maybe that explains quite quite that so much. Um, I, I guess if if McLaren were having a bad day at the office, then Red Bull were having a worse day. Um, Do you know Kvyat in thirteenth and Ricardo in fifteenth? I got I got up and watched this in the morning, and obviously I was pretty tired. You know, six o'clock in the morning. I watched Formula One at that time in the morning. I wouldn't do that for anything else. And I, I, when I do that, I can't always remember what happens. And I've come in today and I've checked the results just to refresh my memory. And I went, what are the Red Bulls doing down at 13th and 15th? I why were they so poor? I can't actually remember. No. <laughs> were they just slow? Was there problems? I can't... I, what, uh, Ricardo had a coming together with Massa. I, that, I remember that bit because that was why Massa was so far back. Um I can't. I, uh, I, I the reports I've read have just said that Kvyat had car troubles, but I don't know whether that was just a sort of lack of power or, you know, sort of proper, um, you know, proper really slow and then but managed to keep on going. Um, yeah. Just like you say, you know, when you're finishing behind Fernando Alonso's ailing McLaren, that's a barometer for not having a very good weekend. Yes. So. You know, yeah, I'm, even I can admit that one. I think. So was Kvyat started from the pit lane as well? Ah, uh, yes, he did. Yes, he did. But obviously, whatever they did to repair his car didn't do very much of a job. Although possibly you don't know what. Of, uh... of course, I'm being silly. I'm sitting there going, "Oh, I forgot what happened." He totaled his car and yes. qualified. <laughs> he completely destroyed it in every way, shape, and form. It was one of the best crashes I've seen in ages. Flipped upside down and everything, you know. It was an absolute perla. Did you see Danny Ricardo's reaction to it on? Uh, on oh Sky? no, I didn't. No, it was a good bit on uh, on the on the qualifying coverage. Just right after, right after um, Q3, where they get Ricardo in and he's talking to Lazenby and and uh, whoever else is on the the panel, Johnny Herbert and stuff. And uh, they say, "Oh, how's 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 Fiat, Danny?" And he goes, "Oh, I've just heard. I've just spoke to so and so. He's good. He's gonna be fine. He's gonna be fine." And uh, and they're like, "Oh yeah, that's cool. Like, have you seen the crash?" And he goes, "No, I haven't seen it." And they go, "Oh, you haven't seen it? Well, here you go." And they show him it, and that's the first time seeing it live on Sky. And he just his reaction is brilliant. He goes, "Oh, oh, oh!" Again, like he's properly like, "Wow!" Like he's proper shocked at how bad it was. Eh? But it was it was one of the worst crashes I've seen in a, in a while. Like, but you know, testament, I suppose, how safe these things are. Yes. Yeah. They, they even took the wheels off the. You know the tethers that they attach the wheels to the suspension, oh, so gosh, that they can't blimey. fly, can't fly into the crowd or anything. Or, or they're supposed to, but even they all, all they were all off in that as well. So, yeah, big one for Fiat. So I suppose you kind of uh, yeah, I guess thirteenth one you've <laughs> in a, a fairly yeah, second-hand car. I guess is probably had to rebuild the car overnight and stuff and start from the pit lane. So <laughs> we, had to, yeah. we had to borrow some bits that we found on the track. <laughs> still, still finished ahead of Marcus Ericsson in 14th. Well, there you go. That's the least surprising thing of the day, isn't it? Really, uh, poor Jensen in 16th. Um, <laughs> when when everybody else is having bad days, you I guess sometimes you can hope that you have a better one, but it it, it very definitely wasn't. But he still had a better day than Felipe Massa, who ended up two laps down. <laughs> still, by the He's, end of the race, he just, just finds trouble like nobody I've seen in Formula One. Like, Mark Webber was bad, but I think Massa is the world champion for just getting himself into remarkable 
Like, if someone's getting a puncture on lap one, Felipe Massa will be involved. <laughs> like, it's, it's just... He, I thought it was just his bad luck in the Ferrari because he was the number two driver. So, you know, he was always compromised. He was always having to be the, the rear gunner or whatever. But he's kind of transferred that to Williams. Like, you never really see... Like, Bottas is always quite consistent. But Massa... If he went through his season, there'll be a third, and then a fifth, and then a fourth, and then a 19, and then a third, <laughs> and, then a, and then a four, and then a 16. And, like, honestly, it's remarkable. Just finds trouble. Yeah, uh, yeah so that explained Ricardo and, and Massa's uh, yeah, lower lower ranking in this race. Button trundling about in 16th, Massa 17th, and then the two poor manners... Uh, both finished, I think, again, though. I've been praising their ability to get the cars over the line recently. I think both of them finished again, so well done uh, for that. And Alexander Rossi heading ahead, uh, finishing ahead of Will Stevens as well. Um, yeah, fair play. He's only been in the car, what was it, a second race? So uh, I think so, yeah. Um, but interestingly, I find out today, it, it's going to be back to Roberto Meri in the next race. <laughs> is that right, is it? I didn't yep. read that. Is that on Planet of One or something? I didn't read that. Uh, I can't even remember where I saw. I think it might have been on the Beeb, but so as uh, Roberto Mary went home and found some money down the back of the sofa and <laughs> turned up and went, "I've got some more money, guys! Like, can you have it?" Oh. I think um, I think it basically came down to the fact that um, Roberto Mary had enough enough money for two more drives, so he has two random drives. They didn't just give Actually, him two more drives. Oh, let's just I'll just have this one and oh yeah, I don't know. Should we do Fiji or something? Just picking them at random. <laughs> Fiji? Know, it's not even on the calendar. I know. <laughs> I'd love it. That'd be even better, wouldn't it? <laughs> poor old, poor old Mary turns up at Easter Island somewhere <laughs> driving around in his car going, there's nobody here. I'm not having to get out of anybody's way. Oh my God, maybe they've really improved the car. I'm first, I'm first. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Like, yeah, it's just a case of who can provide the most money at these teams. Like, if I, if I, I put some cash together, I could get a drive from Mauritio. I bet you probably could. Yeah. Um, and Felipe Mazza, uh, Felipe Nazar, not uh, are one of the few, the only DNFs I think this uh, this weekend. Only one DNF for these cars that were, you know, this time at the start of the start of last season, it was oh. There's going to be retirements left, right, and centre, and it's taken them what one season to make them completely bulletproof. Right? It's uh, it's then kind of sad from the spectacle point of view, isn't it? It's phenomenal, though, isn't it? I mean, like, what what, what can you do? And the technology is that good, you know, that reliable. Like even yeah, McLaren are finishing both; they're getting both cars mm. every race now. Like, well, they were. Uh, I was looking online today, actually. At um, they were comparing uh, Senna's record versus Vettel and. Hamilton mm-hmm. uh, and Vettel's had something like um, like eight mechanical failures oh, no it's not even I don't even think it's that it's like five or something ridiculous and Lewis has had eight eight or something like that and do you know how many Senna had oh bucket loads probably. 33 <laughs> it's like three times as much as like yeah. the next guy on the on the list of all of these things and it's just kind of like Jesus. Just to show you how good they were back then. You well, know. It, it is, and and it kind of makes you imagine. Can you imagine if he'd had the reliability oh, of, the, yeah. of the cars in this this era? It, like nobody would have gotten past the guy. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. And even when he did have trouble, he dragged the car home half the time. Well, yeah, <laughs> that's true enough as well. Yeah. Um, it's uh, we're just. 
I think we've said it more than once, haven't we? We miss the times when you, you used to regularly see engines just yeah, disappear I, in a puff of smoke. Poor, and... I think bulletproof reliability is poor for the sport. Like, I would love to see more. I just just as a fan, it creates a bit more drama. It creates a bit more unpredictability. I love. I grew up on Formula One where that was the case. So. You know, you're watching a race and someone's 25 seconds in front, but you're on the edge of your seat till the last lap because you go, yeah, but the engine could go at any time, you know? Like, you know, what if something happens? But nowadays, you just don't expect that at all. So, it's, it's t they've taken out, like, the fuel stops created unpredictability, the reliability created unpredictability. They've taken both those things away. So, so it's not just that the Mercedes are so good and that it's one team dominant, it's that they've taken away other things that created the interest as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so then... Uh, what, what, how do we sum up this race, really? That's, I'm struggling to find, you know, anything to say to... I don't know. Business as usual. It? just is yeah the worst kind of business as usual do you know what I mean it's one thing to be winning races all the time and there's other stuff to talk about but there just really wasn't anything to talk about Lewis is what uh, 50 points roughly something like that I think 48 points not long to uh, how many races ago five, five to go or something like that so it's all over by the, by the shouting really isn't it Lewis needs to I don't know, fall over and break a leg or something to to stop him becoming three times world champion level with Senna. I'll absolutely love that, Lewis. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, and uh, I think all the bloody media outlets will uh, will, will love that. Um, we'll never hear the end of it, unfortunately. But um... did he win Sports Personality of the Year last year? Uh, yes, he did. Did he? Because if he if he wins a world title this year, he'll probably win it again. I hope not. Today. Hopefully somebody with a personality will win it. It would be nice. I can't think of much sport that's been going on, really, that, that could challenge it. There's not been a Ryder Cup or an Olympics or anything, so it's probably go to Lewis again. Uh, <laughs> We're ending on it. We're finishing the race review in a pretty sombre tone. We are. We oh, well. well, let's... Sorry. Let's just, let's just end it and... Well, I don't even want to talk about Russia just on the basis of the fact that it was the dullest race of last year. It was um, awful. They've gone softer on the compounds, so... Which was clearly, you know, the correct decision. They blew it last year. Yeah, uh, well, I, I, I guess you just have to go with a gut feeling, don't you? And you you hope it's one way when it doesn't turn, doesn't turn out that way. I mean, you just... Yeah, it was the first race, so... Cut them some slack, but it was in hindsight, it was clearly the wrong decision, wasn't it? So, yeah. So, uh, what do you think for Russia? <laughs> the uh, Mercedes dominant uh, again? Well, they, I mean, they cake walked it last season, um, and I think the, I think all the other teams are just as far away, if not more, at this point in time. I generally just genuinely don't feel that there's any real competition really unless the circuit is massively different than you know the the norm and unfortunately Sochi is definitely not different than the norm it's flat as a pancake and boring af as far as i'm concerned so yeah uh... um i have no 
have no an accurate portrayal <laughs> I can't get myself excited for a race and it's been a long time since I felt that even when Seb was winning in the Red Bulls I still was interested enough to see the next race do you know what I mean I never I never thought I oh, can't be asked but Russia is just not lifting my spirits from the last race in any way shape or form I'd, I'd have rather it was Singapore next do you know what I mean that's because at least you'll see a safety car or something in there you know true, true. <laughs> I just can't see anything happening that's going to be making the podcast easier to do in you know in a week's time but well there you go there oh, so you go yeah. Formula 1 has a habit of surprising you with regards to it <laughs> probably does doesn't it like the one so year that we got be, an interesting Bahrain Grand Prix might be an absolute classic you know it's... <laughs> well we can hope we can only hope can't we really let's not you know write it off before we're there yet <laughs> <laughs> so I think with all that done we can safely move on to the Formula 1 news the final lap podcast And I guess the biggest thing in the news is probably the signing on of uh, Denson Button, not on the dog queue, but onto McLaren for uh, next season. Yeah, I mean, I'm quite surprised. I thought he might. I genuinely thought he was going. I really did. I thought he was going. And I think he's, um, as was very, very widely reported, really. I think he's played the poker face the best. Um, and you know, usually Ron's pretty good about um, you know keeping everything hidden and you know probably making drivers think oh maybe they really don't care whether i sign on next season or not but i think button was very clever in that he came out fairly early to say well you know i'm not really feeling f1 at the moment i you know i could probably live without having to do this and blah 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 it's not a problem i don't really mind what i'm doing next year um and i i think it probably caught mclaren a bit off guard i think they were thinking that Jensen would want to immediately sign up uh, to any offer given, so they tried to reduce the amount he was going to be paid next year because he's getting something like a four or six million pay rise as, as part of the uh, extension to his contract. Um, and I think he just stuck out and said, "Well, you know what? Pay me, pay me what you owe me." And fair play to the guy for doing that because I don't think Ron Dennis is one of those kind of guys that I'd like to be attempting to sort of. Uh, <laughs> Um, no, that's bluff true. against or <laughs> or do anything. Um, but I think that's good news for the team. I think you need the continuity. Um, Jensen's such a likable guy. I can't imagine that he's not like a joy to have around a team that's struggling. Um, you know, from a fan point of view, um, the world would be a sadder place if Jensen Bars wasn't in Formula One next season for me. So I'm glad he stayed on. Like you say, he's just a likable guy. You know when he does, he's 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 on the radio or he's in the media. You know he's 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 been a constant for fifteen years. You know it would be yeah. I think I mentioned that in the last show, but it comes from that era where I started watching Formula One in the early two thousands. That he's sort of the last of more one of the one of the him and Raikkonen and to an extent Alonso are the last from that era, and to lose them would be like I don't know. 
no, just, 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 just a sad day. And so another season with Button, even though I'm not McLaren's biggest fan, he deserves another crack next season with hopefully a better car because this season's been nothing, absolutely nothing. So he deserves at least another season with a car that's capable of minimum consistently scoring points. So I'm glad he's going to get that. The only question now is, where, where does K-Mag go from here? Well, um, he said he was desperately looking for a drive, and they rapidly seem to be disappearing. Um, I mean, they are. There's rumours of mana. Um, that, 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 that just... Seems like a waste. You'd be better off going and doing, like, I don't know, touring cars or something, or endurance than driving the mana, probably. Or even Formula E, probably, at this stage. Do you know what I mean? Do a do a proper racing series and um, I mean form- obviously yeah Formula One experience is great but there's Kevin Magnussen's better than the Manor. Is it? Well, he is. I mean, it's quite clearly. Um, and then they've also got the problem that uh, Stoffel Van Dorn is going to run away with the GP2 championship this year almost certainly. Yeah, another one that needs a seat. <laughs> yeah, and once you've won GP2, you can't go back. You can't stay in it. So. <laughs> The MotoGP two winners that just do nothing because they can't get drives. Like think of the last sort of three or four years, like Julian Palmer, yep. uh, David Valsecchi can't get drives. So Van Dorn is another one that needs. These are the type of guys that would normally you'd think would go. Oh, Force India will take them, or you know Cyber will take them. But you know they've pretty much signed their deals. Force India guys have signed their deals. Cyber. Not entirely sure what's happening with their drives, but I suspect they'll probably they might just keep them the same. Money will play a big part, particularly with them. So, where did they go, really? Where does Van Dorn and Magnussen go? Nowhere. Well, it's well, it's really difficult to see. Um, there, there were. McLaren desperately need a Toro Rosso, don't they? They need a a little feeder team where they can stick these guys in for two seasons and get their learn their craft. Well, I think um, it'd be interesting, certainly, to see if um, the other real big news story about Rebel um, were to were to happen, uh, and three car teams became a thing. I, I, you know, obviously, one of those drivers is going to get that drive, and I guess then they'd keep the other one on as reserve driver. Um, but you know, that's far and away from being a likelihood. Um, I mean, I'd, I'd seen rumours that Van Dorn might have been a Haas contender. Um, but they're they're Ferrari, like, so you'd be surprised by that. Well, yeah, but um, they'd already ruled out Rossi, hadn't they? Um, so I, I I know that Ferrari obviously have other junior drivers, but um, I don't know really. Is the is the simple answer to that? I I think they need to be driving in and around Formula One somewhere. Um, and you know this, this is what gets me with all the testing rules and bits and pieces. Do you know what I mean? They they should actually be testing the damn car and not sat in simulators and not doing anything and you know wasting their talents. Yep, uh, I agree. Um, at this stage, I'll be surprised if either of them are on the grid next season, which is a big shame. Yeah. I don't know. I, I guess we'll just have to to see. But but the the good news. Denson Button is on there, so we'll get more of his entertaining uh, on-grid interviews uh, and radio messages, hopefully. So, uh, hooray! Uh, the other big news, of course, is that Red Bull have um, 
played a very interesting game with uh, trying to get uh, a new engine by essentially accusing Ferrari of playing games about, you know, not saying yes or no to giving them an engine next season. She's probably not the most sensible tactic when you're trying to negotiate something with somebody. But, uh, well, I'm assuming that at this stage, Red Bull feel like, well, take it or leave it. We either get what we want or we go. And it doesn't make any difference to us. But the sport loses four cars. How, you know, how important is that to people so in just, the end? It's just remarkable that it's been allowed to get to this stage, isn't it? Like, it's a sad state of affairs where if Red Bull want a new engine, the choice is Ferrari or a Mercedes. Like, is there no one, like, I know there's Honda, and, and the, like, but we need to be having a bit more variety in the engines, I think, the engine suppliers. I mean, like, someone like Volkswagen, Audi, these guys, I'd be delighted to see someone like that come into the sport, just just to spice it up a bit, give something new. Problem then is, how long are they going to take to get competitive? You stick a a brand new a brand new supplier in the back of the Red Bull, and are they going to be McLaren next season? That's not good to anybody. So mm. it's really difficult. It's not going to be good if ten cars on the grid are powered by Mercedes and ten cars on the grid are powered by Ferrari. That's not good for anybody. <sighs> I just, I don't, I really don't know about this. I, I, I don't, I can't, I can't see them going. But at the same time, Horner's absolutely spot on. Testing starts in about three months for next season, and they don't even have an engine supplier. Like, come on, <laughs> it's bizarre. <laughs> it's remarkable how it's been allowed to get to this situation. Like. Yeah, I mean, you don't even know for a, for a you... team like Red Bull, professional team like Red Bull, with all these world championships and stuff, for six, you know. Six races to go in a season, a couple of months until they need to start putting the new car on track and they don't even know what engine will be in the back of it or whether it'll even be there, you know? I mean, surely the car is almost designed for next season, but they don't know if they're going to even be there. Like, it's remarkable. It's it's a really bizarre situation, all in all. Um, and what it's kind of led to is a, is a few people talking about it, but um, Toto Wolff has been saying some very... I'd consider very provocative and somewhat hypocritical things uh, in the press. Um, stating that Formula One can survive without Red Bull, which is probably true in and of itself, but is it, a, you know, that's a bit like saying... If, that doesn't if, mean it's good. <laughs> if, I, if I removed, you know, both your legs and one of your arms, could you survive? And you'd be like, well, yes, I can. I'd might rather not, though. It might not be very good. Do you know what I mean? Not be the greatest thing in the world. Um Especially if you then replace those three limbs with three arms instead of two legs and three <laughs> arms and, and an arm, sorry. Um, so that's weird. Uh, and then he also, in the press, said uh, that F1 needs teams with um, long-term, you know, uh, long-term aspirations, um, which made me chuckle. So I, I checked back through the record books. Um, do you want to know how many seasons combined Mercedes have spent in Formula One? It's about eight or something like that. Isn't it's it? five. Is it only five? <laughs> um, and f- uh, well, it, it's it'll be six, including this one, I, I guess. But um, they joined in 2010, so including this season, that's five. That's five seasons. Um, they have one to, before or something. And it was one is uh, Daimler Benz in the uh, 1954-55 season. They had lots of success in the 1930s before Formula One existed, and uh, ironically, they were being uh, propped up by the Nazi Party. But we don't Brilliant. talk about that. Um, 
but that's it. So Red Bull, who have been going since 2005, with two teams since 2006, have like 19 combined seasons in Formula One. Mercedes have five. It, you know, and they've only been an engine manufacturer since 1994. It, it's, they aren't it's funny, it's funny some integral works. flywheel in, in the Formula One machine. You know, oh my God, how can possibly Formula One cope with all these people without long-term planning? Well, they managed 40-odd years without Mercedes in the sport at all. So, you know, let's let's get some perspective, Toto, shall we? We've gone from defending... We, we, we've gone from hating Red Bull and being pro-Mercedes to defending uh, Red Bull in the space of about a season and a half. It's remarkable <laughs> how the world has gone. Right. Well, it doesn't, it doesn't take long, it seems, for people in Formula One who start winning to suddenly take on a a massively superior attitude about their team and everything they do and everything they say. Do you know what I mean? I've ended up liking Christian Horner a lot more this season. Christian Horner's... Me too. It's it's like he's been humbled by the poor performance almost. And like, yeah. See, see as soon as he started growing that beard. (laughs) There's a a correlation between having that beard and... uh, and, and marrying a Spice Girl. Well, well, well leave that, that one's up to him. But uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, that, uh, he's, yeah, he's just come across like, I don't know, an awful lot better, less arrogant. And maybe it's because they're not winning anymore. I don't know. But uh, maybe it's just my absolutely desperation to support the underdog. So when it was Red Bull on top, yeah, screw Red Bull. But now that they're the team that's struggling, oh, we'll support Red Bull. Uh, that's just me. I, I like the underdog. Yeah, it's um, <laughs> yeah. As I said, it's kind of the uh, the curse of Formula One that success goes to you know a, a team's head one way or the other. Um, we, we all said pretty much the same thing about Ferrari back in the uh, in the early noughties, really, when they were winning any everything. Um, we kind of said it about Benetton as well, really, when when Alonso was winning and Briatore was in charge. Everybody was just going, "Oh, who's this?" Who's this greasy guy running this team? Uh, you know, they're nobody. They're just, you know, they're just a repackaged Benetton with a, you know, with a Renault badge or or whatever. So, uh, I certainly think that um, teams, team principals especially, need to be very careful about how they say things like this. You know, because w- well, what happens if uh, the other teams all manage to lobby through some? massive change to the regulations and uh, it completely changes the way that all of the cars are set up and um, you know the Mercedes team go from easy domination to suddenly um, you know trudging along a midfield and then suddenly all the nice people back at uh, Mercedes headquarters go well I don't really know why we're spending eight, 80 million pounds a year just to you know be also runs in a championship let's end our Formula 1 program and just go back to doing That's engines it. it's fickle it's a fickle sport completely um, so all of these things kind of, you know, um, have slightly annoyed me about Mercedes. Uh, and I don't want to dislike Mercedes because we went through this with Red Bull and I ended up not liking Red Bull. And now I've gone back to thinking that actually they don't do themselves any favours, but they're certainly not a bad team anymore in the way that I, I used to dislike them quite so much. And I don't want to start doing that with Mercedes because I'm still very impressed by the job that they've done. Uh, just because it doesn't make interesting racing doesn't stop it being a good job. Um, True. But, you know, I could just do without the slight grandstanding that they seem to be going through at the moment. 
the blooming Twitter feed's exactly the same. It's all... <laughs> it's also so... Ah, hey, everybody. Fresh from our win at the last Grand Prix. Let's go and see if we can win another. Yay! And I was just like, oh, I, I can't be bothered with that. I just, you know... Just tell me what you're going to do. Talk talk to me about Formula One. Don't, you know... Don't tell me how wonderful you are. I don't care. <laughs> I don't even think I have them on Twitter. <laughs> Well, I have to say I follow them all on our uh, on our official Last Lap Podcast uh, Twitter, which is at Last Lap Podcast. Thank you very much. Uh, the, only, the only team I really follow is the Lotus team because, you know, <laughs> that, their, their Twitter feed speaks for itself. You know, the <laughs> cult heroes of the Formula One Twitter world are the Lotus F1 team. Um, what else has been going on then? Well, uh I've been reading an article from uh, Motorsport Magazine. Um, it's not a publication I particularly pay much interest in. In particular, I tend to um, I don't buy Autosport, but I, I, capture, I read their articles because quite often they, um, they they get things a little bit earlier than other places. But um, they've got quite an interesting article, and it's the first article I've seen that's been pessimistic about Honda's chances next season. That's actually given a reason why. There's been plenty of Plenty of articles flying about with people saying, oh, I don't know why people think they can make a sizable step forward next season because blah, blah, you know, because uh, this season's gone so bad. And it's just like, well, that doesn't mean anything, you know. It doesn't take anything for a team to turn around their fortunes. But it, it was an interesting article because it, it talks in detail about what the problem with the Honda engine is. Um, mm-hmm. And it's really it's really useful because it's really down to the turbo compressor. Um and with the way that McLaren packaged the car. So the, the basics of it are uh, McLaren want to package it as small as possible because that's good for aero. Mm-hmm. Honda came up with a design for the compressor, which they thought would make it smaller, but allow it to um, revolve much faster. Um, 30,000, uh, uh, I think it's 10,000 revs per minute more than a conve- the uh, normal-sized uh, compressors of the other teams. Um, so that they'd basically, A, be able to have the tight packaging, uh, but actually still generate the same kind of performance um, as, of having a full-sized compressor. Okay. Well, mm-hmm. they buggered it. It's the, <laughs> it's the simple thing. Um, it was, no, no way. I don't, know if you, I don't know if you've been able to tell at all, Sean. Um <laughs> What's really happened is that in the early testing, the whole thing just um, destroyed itself, <laughs> all the things around it. Um, so they basically had to turn the the wick down on it so that it was revolving, revolving at the same time, uh, about the same speed as the normal compressor. But since it was a smaller compressor, uh, that made it work less efficiently. Mm-hmm. Um it was then burning out all of the all of the uh, sensors. If you remember, in the first couple of races, they had that problem, so they had to turn it down even more. Um, which basically means that um, it's generating less heat, which means you generate um, uh, less turbo boost, uh, but also the energy recovery system H recovers less heat because it's not generating as much heat. So all in all, um, it's about 35% of what its potential should be, um, which means it's about 100 BHP down 
on what it should be able to produce. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that kind of fits somewhat in line of what I've been hearing about it. So, uh, When Honda came out and said that they thought the engine was more powerful than the Renault, they were really only talking about the combustion engine, which may well be true. But the point is, the electronic recovery system, you know, the energy recovery system, forms such a massive part of how these cars go fast that it's ridiculous to consider it in isolation. Mm-hmm. Um, but the problem that Honda have got is that there is a homogenization, homologization, homologization. Homologulation. I know actually how to say it. Homologulation. <laughs> no, I can't say it because I've made a mess of it. Homologulation uh, <laughs> date of February 28th that they have to get their engine set for because the only reason they've been able to change the engine in season this time was because Ferrari found the loophole, if you remember. Yep. Um, so they've been tightened up from 2016. <laughs> Ferra- Ferrari found a loophole? No. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but that was closed down for 2016 so if they don't design it by the end of February next year it doesn't go in the engine and they can't add it into the engine afterwards Um, so there is a very definite cut off point where we will find whether Honda are going to make a big leap which they could do if they get it done in time if they don't get it on time they will probably have to go for a bigger um compressor more in the design of the traditional ones but that means that they then got to redesign all the aero packages around it or see if they can have a bigger compressor but still hide it somewhere else in the engine which is probably fairly unlikely given how tight the packaging is already mm-hmm. um they have some hope in that there might be a regulation change because pretty much all the teams would quite like to reopen the engine regulation so that they can change it in team I would yeah, like in, that in, I, I, in I season. Think, I think but it should be. Guess who's probably not going to be on board for that? Can't think who. The team that's winning every week, maybe? I think it might be, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, that's sport, man, eh? That's sport. That's where we find ourselves yet again with a rule change that could make the sport more interesting held up because it's not in the interests of one or I'm, two teams. I hate, I hate these frozen engine rules that, that, that Formula One has, has, has I mean, got. that's bad enough as it is because just what that the, means these, is that the I few just... stuff that they could do out of season before the homogenization date gets even less then. So do you know what I mean? They'll have to go a season with a bad compressor potentially, but then when it gets to the next season, okay, they, they build a better compressor, but then they can't adjust anything else in in the engine because the rest of it has been frozen down in the meantime just unfreeze these regs and just let teams develop man i think the the experiment to save money by reducing testing has failed because it's failing the sport because it's just allowing dominance to become the norm design design one good thing that nobody else thinks of in winter testing win formula one mm-hmm. for two or three seasons in a <laughs> yeah. block and, and, until the other teams manage to to lobby hard enough to get the rules changed again, uh, oh, and then we get a new a new champion. Uh, it's just rubbish. Um, it's not what the fans want to see. It's not what the fans expect from Formula One. It's not what any sport who wants to wants to consider itself the pinnacle of motorsport should be about. But here we are still. Um. In a sort of side note, um, Jensen Button has been saying uh, very good things about the aero package that um, 
uh, Peter Prodromo has been mm-hmm. uh, has designed and saying that that the car to drive, <laughs> you know, is very good. Um, Which but, is kind of what we expected. <laughs> anyway. You know that now, don't but, you? Um, and he he was very complimentary about how he works with the team as well, which I think is is good news and might also have been possibly part of the reason why um, Jensen was kept on. If if you know maybe Pro, uh, Prodromo is uh, saying you know I've got to you know we're getting good feedback from Jensen. He's really helped me, you know, get the car better. Well, there you go. Mm-hmm, definitely, his experience is second to none in terms of you know current race drivers. So. Yeah, with a team like McLaren going through the transitional period that they are, you'd be mad to chuck that, I think. Mm-hmm. Bernie Eccleston expects Formula One to be sold this year. <sighs> to who? To any? Does that involve him staying as the chief exec or whatever the hell his position is? If it's if it sells, or does that involve him stepping down? Because mm-hmm. that would be good. <laughs> well, it would be interesting. Um, it's believed one of the interested parties is Stephen Ross, the owner of the NFL side Miami Dolphins, who has the backing of Qatar Sports Investments, uh, the same group that owns football club Paris Saint-Germain. Right. I'm pessimistic immediately. I'd rather it didn't get sold to um, to the like, Qatar... People. <laughs> well, it, uh, you think about all of the people who shouldn't really be involved in Formula One, and it's probably an American, and it's probably somebody from the middle of the East with no racing, you well, know, yeah. no racing pedigree. Really, it's kind of it, it's all wrong in a, in so many ways. Um, but well, I, I don't know. Uh, I, I shudder to think what somebody without a a long history in the sport will do to Formula One if Bernie Eccleston is what happens when you have an old school Formula One guy in charge. That's true. If a guy who ran teams in the seventies does this to Formula One, then what is a guy who runs the Miami Dolphins? You know what I mean? Gonna do? Whose idea of entertainment is cheerleaders and firing T-shirts into the crowd? Mm. I mean, I mean I'm, a... I'm not against those things happening in Formula One per se, but you know, you can't keep the cheerleaders on the side of the track. They're going to get annihilated every race. I mean, my immediate thought when I see names like Qatar Sports Investments involved and things like that, it's like, oh, so we're going to get a race in Qatar, we're going to get a race in Dubai, we're going to get going to get a race in all these places. But then we already get that anyway, pretty yeah. much. So, you know, how bad can it get? But no, just. I just want F1 to be run by the teams, for the teams, you know, like... There's too much money being filtered out of F1 into the pockets of people that it shouldn't be. Yeah. No, I think that's that's absolutely true. There's not, there's not investment from people who are happy to put the sport ahead of their ability to make the most money out of it. And it needs it. All sport needs to be that. You can't can't run a sport based solely on making the most money for you. You have to do the best to make the sport exactly. as big as possible, which in itself should net you a, you know, so it should net you a decent haul of money, but it shouldn't be about basically asset stripping it by getting rid of European races to have more expensive races in the middle of fricking nowhere. But that's what we get. 
And that's that's all that seems to happen. Well, time will tell. We may get a white knight <laughs> coming from the dark to save the. You never know. Us. You never know. What's Ross Braun up to? <laughs> <laughs> That would well. That works for me. That would work for me. If, if those guys came in, but then said, "And what we're going to do is we're going to instate Ross Braun as yeah, Bernie's as the replacement, Bernie Echoes thing. yeah, and boom. we're going to trust and, entirely in his decisions." I'd yeah, be like, that, "All right, okay, fair yeah. enough. We'll give this one a go then." That's what you want, like someone, someone like that. But you know, fair enough. The money's coming from the pocket of these wherever you want it to come from, but it needs to have a proper guy as the figurehead who who isn't Bernie. Because Bernie's clearly proven recently that he's no longer the man for the job. No. Uh, well, let's finish off the news with two <coughs> test reserve drivers, <coughs> both looking for drives next season. Um, Julian Palmer, who said that he's um, pretty much driving next season or he's probably not going to stay in Formula 1, which pretty much is... <laughs> pretty much what we've come to expect from GP2 champions, but it's an awful indi- indictment about how the FIA run things if the main the main series that's supposed to feed Formula 1, because it's, you know, it's the one that rates the highest on the old super license, license thing, um, you win GP2 and nobody wants to take you. Nobody cares enough to take you because you either aren't considered good enough or you don't bring in enough money. Yep. Uh, and Pascal Veilin is looking for the Mana Drive, probably one of among 200 million drivers now. You see that that last seat as the uh, as their ticket into Formula One. But that also leads on to saying Roman Grosjean, going to Haas, as we alluded to earlier, has jumped ship from Lotus, soon to be Renault, uh, really to Haas. I really hope they've got a competitive car for him. Be, it'll suck if he turns up and he's driving a 2010 spec Caterham, you know, like a, a, a new team in the sense of what the 2009 new teams were, you know, trundling around the back of the grid until they find their feet. I really hope they can turn up and at minimum be scoring points in the first season. Cause it, it, would nice. it would be nice. It would be nice. I mean, he, uh, you know, saying this as a McLaren fan, he's likely to find that maybe next season they'll be behind the, the new Manor team, if that was the case. But uh, the sport needs to show that it's possible to bring a team to Formula 1 and whilst not take it to the front of the grid in your first season or anything ridiculous, but just be able to not be so embarrassingly off pace. Yeah, you just need to be able to compete at the end of the day. Um. So we wait and see then who who takes this second half seat and whether the manor seats because they've signed um uh what's his face Will Stevens to next season manor so there's there's only That's one cool. seat there yeah. um, cool. so there's two definite seats open for some people to go but they could the be both, they could be both be filled by McLaren drivers realistically there's Lotus and Haas isn't there uh oh I suppose. Well, that's what I was saying. So there's a seat at Manor, there's a seat at Haas, and you're right, there is now Roman Grosjean's um, uh, eliminated seat from uh, Which obviously Renault. Julian Palmer will be eyeing up. Well, you'd yeah. hope, I think that's the one he'd hope for, but he's only been with them for a season. I'm not sure I'm not sure Palmer will get... I don't think he'll get a seat, to be honest. 
The problem with GP2 champions, as you say, they can't go back to GP2. But the thing is, the problem for GP2 at all is if anybody's got shows any like real talent, they don't even go to GP2. Like think of Vettel didn't go. To, he was straight in the car at like 19 or 20, you know. And think of Verstappen just straight in the Formula One. The second they show a bit of flash, they're they're straight in there. So the guys that are in GP2 are like. They're kind of like a lot of them are kind of already past it. This like a, a guy like Julian Palmer, if he was good enough to be in Formula One, he probably would have already been in Formula One before he won GP two. Yeah, it's. I mean, I think if anybody was going to take him, he'd have already been taken. I, think, I just don't think he's ever going to get taken now. I think with GP two you've got to win it really convincingly. You've got to show that you're so much better than everybody else in GP2. Yeah, or you've, you've got to turn up and do it in one season, like Van Dorm's pretty much done. Right? Yeah. yeah. And, Lu it's, you know, people like Lewis and Nico, they didn't spend season after season in no. GP2. They came in, yeah. flattened all the competition pretty much generally, or, or certainly did so well that it was impossible to ignore or they had drives lined up in the kind of... Um, uh, I said, in Lewis's style, but well, a lot of talent's primed from an early age now. You know, they're primed from a proper youth. Like that's going to be like they've all got young driver programs, so they've all they're all they're all on a clear path to their F1 seat, and they just tick the formulas as they go past and win each one each season until they finally reach Formula One. So the days of just like you know, honing your craft and just being a sort of independent guy, not uh, not fixed to any team, is kind of gone now. For a guy like Palmer. Isn't going to really work out for him. No, no, and that's the, that's kind of the saddest thing, really. That um, I'll be I'll be extremely surprised if he's in the car next season. Yeah, yeah, I I think I I think I totally agree with you on that one. Um, oh, we've done it again, Sean. We've managed to end yeah. on another so humble so, point. Right, positives, positives. Positives. Um, Pastor Maldonado is going to be in Formula One next year, so we still get to see him cause absolute chaos wherever he goes. Be pretty cool if uh, Magnussen ends up in a Lotus and Van Dorm ends up in a, a Haas or something like that. That would work for me. I could yeah. yeah, yeah, me too. I think so. Not sure what Lotus will do. They're an interesting one. Depends. Depends on how. Obviously, this takeover is expected to go through. You know, Renault signed their letter of intent so for all intents and purposes in 2016 Renault will be Lotus will be Renault so they've got Maldonado signed up and then they've got a gap do they think they go French or do they go where do they go do they need a pay driver if they're a Renault team then they shouldn't theory have enough clout to not have to rely on a pay driver no um, it's an interesting one with so many drivers hooked up to contracts though already it's it's difficult to see do they, um, go they can't poach somebody from a team really at this point. No, um, no. So, so who do you who do you get in? I think they would probably have to, you know, it, at that stage, it kind of makes Kevin Magnussen the most experienced Formula oh, One driver yeah. who's who's with or, recent or experience even, who's got who's available to be bought. Yeah, or even going for Van Dorm himself. Like it's it's a very interesting seat all of a sudden with Grosjean jumping ship. It's kind of opened up everything a little bit. It's opened up, you know. A point scoring team seat, which you know they weren't available at Williams, they weren't available at Force India, so it's it's it's, it's, it's a bit like gold dust that seat actually for a guy like Van Dorn, for a guy like Magnussen. 
you'd be doing everything in your power to get there. Or do they take... I don't know, who else, who's actually out there? Do they take someone who's not been... Oh, I really hope they don't take, like, a... I don't know. A, who's who's is it is it is there a peak a French guy called Peak in GP two? There's um Arthur Peak, uh, yeah. but he's rubbish. Um, there's I, I hesitate to say it. There's Nicholas Prost. Oh yeah, that's the one. I knew I was thinking. <laughs> so we're not Pete Prost. Um, yeah, who as far as I'm, as I'm concerned, and, and, crashed everywhere in Formula E and was particularly rubbish. So. And Alan Prost is allegedly going to be involved in the setup there. So. Yeah. Well, he's got... It's less that he's involved in the setup, but he owns some of the shares in that team. So the chances are that he, unless he sells his stake to Renault as well, he'll be involved in the team in as much as he was already. So French team, you know, can you see them? Okay. Strengths. Uh, it's, it's an interesting one. It's the most interesting seat on the grid for sure well that to be fair the Hassett seat is quite interesting as well to see who they get in but uh, yeah watch the space we'll see what happens and I really hope at least one of the McLaren boys ends up on the grid yeah I think I think Kevin needs it doesn't he really yeah he really does like Van Dorm could do a season of being reserve and being the, fr- being the Friday guy he's won the GP2 he does one season of being the Friday guy and then he comes in that that would work. That would be okay. But Magnussen to have two full seasons out the car after having his one season in the car wouldn't be great for his career. No, um, no. But there's there's definitely at least now room for um, you know them to to be looking for seats. So that's that's positive. It, it, at the start of the season it looked like there probably wasn't going to be uh, <laughs> be anywhere for them to go. So at least at least there are spaces on the grid where, you know, hopefully with McLaren's back in they can get on the grid and we'll get some nice young drivers, you know, on the grid showing what they can do even if it's, you know, not right at the front of the grid. Well, Lotus will be a good enough drive for for either of them and, and who knows what the Haas could be. Could be anything. Graham Loudon at Manor was saying that he thought they would be competitive because just the kind of the way teams come into F1 now is slightly different from when they did it. They're able to develop the car a lot more uh, without being sort of restricted in the way that that Manor and the likes were in 2009. He expects them to be able to come in and score points in their first season. So, uh, yeah, if if, if Graham Loudon's saying that, he's got first-hand experience of uh, working in a new team in F1, so... We'll just see what happens, but I hope so. I hope yes. they do. We end on hope. I think that's mm-hmm. the the best oh. way we can end. Um, so, indeed, that's the end of this... I was going to say this week, but we, since we don't do it weekly, it's kind of... I feel like an idiot saying that. So the end of this particular episode of the Last Lap Podcast again. I am your host, Andrew Pearson. Sean Gray has been my co-commentator, co-host... Sniffling away in the background. Fluttering in the background. Bless, bless his little cotton shucks. Um, So yeah, send send at Firebolt Willow all of your best get well uh, messages um, in an F1 styley if you can be bothered to think of one. But a simple get well will 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 help him through the week, I'm sure. Um, If you want to find us on the interwebs, uh, our uh, 
website address is www.lastlappodcast.co.uk. Uh, you can find us on Facebook simply by searching Last Lap Podcast. You can find us on iTunes and tune in also again by searching uh, Last Lap Podcast. And there you can subscribe and catch all of the episodes as they become available. Um, as soon as they uh, yeah, as soon as they come online, uh, and then you can follow us on Twitter at last lap uh, at last lap podcast, uh, where we tweet everything that we can think of about Formula One. We retweet stories, uh, tweets by drivers and bits and pieces, uh, and also all of the episodes as soon as they come out as well. So it's another good way of keeping on top of everything that we do here. Um, so it's Russia this weekend. Um, I'm getting the not all out just in case. Um, but if it's a good one, well, you can join us again next time uh, for hopefully a, a bit of a <laughs> a bit of a more upbeat episode than this one. But thank you very much for listening. We'll see you next time. Bye bye. Bye bye.